0: to episode 240 of the all the book show recorded at the david a howe public library we talk book news author news and literary news and as we sometimes say interview authors that's right and today is one of those magical days i'm nick gunning i'm eric Nichols. today we had the pleasure to
1: sit down with best-selling author justina ireland to talk about her books and talk a little bit about ewoks yeah. You don't think that's yeah. I a... saw
0: your eyes light up <laughs> during the Star Wars conversation right, where she right. said she was a fan of Ewoks. So I was like, all right, well, you're talking to the right person here. Absolutely. So, uh, Anyway, yeah. Justina
1: Ireland is the author of Dread Nation, a New York Times bestseller in hardcover young adult fiction, as well as its recent sequel, Deathless Divide. Yeah. She also wrote the middle grade novel Star Wars, Flight of the Falcon, Lando's Luck, and several other Star Wars books, including part of the new Star Wars High Republic series, mm-hmm. uh, which is forthcoming.
0: Well, actually, we have one of her older books, Vengeance Bound, yes. here in the collection. And that one has been a very popular book here in the library for a while. Like, since I first started getting here, I would just put it on display. People check it out. Just goes and goes and goes.
1: She's also the former co-editor-in-chief of FIA Literary Magazine of Black Speculative Fiction, for which she won a World Fantasy
0: Award. Okay.
1: So let's uh, let's roll that music.
2: All the Books Presents, Author Spotlight.
1: This week, Eric and I are joined by best-selling author Justina Ireland. Uh, Justina, thanks for joining us.
3: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: We thought we'd talk a little bit to begin with about your book Dread Nation and its recent sequel. Okay, cool.
0: So alternate history seems to be on the rise with it being used lately to tell very subversive stories. So what drew you to this particular subgenre?
3: Well, I think it's because we have an idea that history is somehow a fixed position in the past Mm -hmm. instead of it always being open to reinterpretation and reinvention. My, My bachelor's degree is in history and then I did um, most of a master's except for a thesis in history as well. And one of the things you learn when you're doing a lot of historical research is 90% of what historians do is argue about what things meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's never, it's never like you know the, the Battle of Gettysburg meant X. It's like, well, this is why I think the Battle of Gettysburg meant X. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you start from that position of realizing that history is flexible and it can be re- retold or reinterpreted, mm-hmm. um, for example, in the 1970s during you know that second wave of uh, feminism and first wave feminism, you have a lot of the feminist per- historians went back and like started telling the stories of women, stories that we had never heard that were always there, just nobody really cared about. You realize when you start to put all these pieces together that history is not as fixed. It's not as as concrete as we think. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it seems almost natural to just take that as a starting point to tell any story, right? You can tell any story by using right. the lens of history. And that's one of the reasons I like it. It's because I love history, but I also love making people think about what it is they think they know about history mm-hmm. and maybe dig a little deeper on their own.
1: Yeah. Is there anything you were struck by when, when doing your historical research for maybe for Deathless Divide that spoke to you in, in a way that that you can see the correlation between what was happening then and what's happening now. Like, was there a particular thing that um, you felt like, boy, this is just as relevant, you know, in the 1800s as it is right now?
3: Um, I think it's it's unfortunately more things than... <laughs> than
1: well, like yes,
3: <laughs> uh, I think it's one of those things people were like, hey, it was so different back then. I'm like, no, but people are kind of always been people, and you know, there are terrible people, and there are people trying to be less terrible. But yeah, no, like, so a lot of the um, the research I had done had really been about, especially um, Rutherford B. Hayes and the corrupt bar- bargain when he decided to say, hey, I'll pull the federal troops out of the South um, if you let me be president. And, um, you know, Republicans and Democrats, I yeah, came to a conclusion that that was okay, that they were going to do that, uh, which kind of ended it was the end of Reconstruction. And so when you read all about the legacy of lynching and the um, terrorism that people in the South lived through from about You know, 1875 to, you know, in some cases today, Mm -hmm. you start to realize that those patterns have always been there. One of the things that happened when edits on Dread Nation is my editor came back because this was after the 2016 election. And he said, you have a politician in here saying you're going to make america safe again or keep america safe again you know cuz in that case he's referring to the zombie plague right. and he's like it sounds a lot like trump's make america great again yeah. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately like that's been a talking point for a lot of conservative politicians since the 1870s right the idea yeah. of um protecting white womanhood from like the you know black super predator which was a term we coined in the 90s right the super predator right. or the super criminal, and like you like you see these these talking points and you realize They've always been there. They just get modernized for a new era. It's almost it's almost like we we can't help ourselves. We just keep coming back to these same arguments and these same sets of bias. And then just we use that in whatever way it shapes us or gets us advantage in that new newer moment. So, yeah, it's it's really um, it's one of the things that I think is like the coolest and also most, most upsetting simultaneously thing about history is realizing that people have always done this. People have always been like this, and trying to figure out how we how we do better in light of acknowledging those failings in the past.
1: And do you think that that readers are more receptive to looking at these things with the distance of history than if this you know this novel was just set today and it was you know really entrenched in what you know is happening in the world right now? Do do you find that historical distance helpful as a tool to get these issues across?
3: I do, and I also think it's helpful to have zombies. Uh, not, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that helps. <laughs> and not, yeah, yeah. No, zombies make everything better um, until they don't. Um, no, I think I think the idea of realizing it's a speculative fiction, I don't have to take it as seriously, gives people sort of an anesthetized like position that they're taking. They're yeah. they're a more receptive to those messages, those conversations. And you know, at some point, you know, um, one of the things I've had responses I've had from readers is they said, you know, I was really enjoying your book, and then I got really uncomfortable about midway through, and I'm like, yeah, that's when you realize it was about racism, right? They're like, yeah, <laughs> that was. Well, but by that time, hopefully, you know, you're already invested in the story enough to keep reading and keep finding out because it's not, it's not, this is my, like books are a conversation. Like this is my half of the conversation, you know, as a black woman who lives in America, you know, these are the things I've seen. These are the things I can point to in history, the reasons why things are today. But like, I'm going to also add zombies in there because then it's going to give you that, that measure of disconnect because it's really easy to say like those people over there were bad Mm -hmm. and they did bad things. It's a lot harder to look in the mirror and say, Am I a bad person? Do I do bad things? Mm-hmm. And just kind of that self uh, analysis. So yeah, I, I do think um, history is a great, great tool for those conversations, especially difficult conversations. Because I mean, I got to be honest, like talking about racism is never easy, and right. I think talking about it with that that remove and mm-hmm. then adding that layer of speculative elements, it really makes it a lot easier.
0: Are there particular challenges for? Because uh, some of the issues in Dread Nation are are pretty heavy. Is there a particular challenge writing? to the YA market or do you find maybe that market is even, is more receptive
3: I think I mean I mean honestly I think I do think the YA market is way more receptive to the, a lot of these hard conversations mm-hmm. than the adult market I think there there is especially when we talk about speculative fiction there's mm-hmm. a, a large readership who is just like I just want to have a fun story I don't right. want to be bogged down because you know I have a mortgage. And bills and my mm-hmm. kids are jerks and like all those things <laughs> come into the day. So I just want to like have that like hour before bed where I can just read and enjoy life. Mm-hmm. Whereas YA readers tend to be a little more willing to engage with those bigger ideas. Right. I also think people who are reading in the YA sector, whether they're teachers or librarians or mm-hmm. actual teens, they're reading for a different purpose. A lot of times, this is adult. There are adults reading for. You know, how do I get ideas across to younger readers? Mm-hmm. A lot of times, these are teens who are dealing with issues of racism and right. classism, and like living in those situations. And I do mm-hmm. think, especially with the internet, you know, like um, I'm I'm 41. I grew up most of my life without the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, the internet wasn't really like a common thing. I would say like in, in most of my social circle until like the mid 2000s. So you have readers who've always grown up in that very globalized face of the internet. So mm-hmm. that they're coming at Problems with a lot different viewpoint and so i do think it's i do think why readers are way more open and receptive to those conversations because they also want to know why are things like this and what can we do to make them change whereas a lot right. well, of the times as an adult we're just like well that's the way it is right. and i just left alone like, yeah. <laughs> like my feet hurt leave me alone and so like i do think it's like i do think it is exciting to write for for an audience who's so willing to have those conversations
0: mm-hmm. and with that is there also like a particular challenge for writing this uh like this alternate history setting a book in civil war and getting that across to teenage readers.
3: I think for the most part people who are interested in history mm-hmm. and are really interested in like what really happened um will go back and say okay what what was this event referring to because there's a lot right. of things that like just changed to like a slightly mm-hmm. um but, but the people who don't know history just don't know. Right. Um I had a teacher email me who said um <laughs> said um uh, we read your book in in class. And one of my students was like, "I didn't know the Civil War ended in zombies. When did we beat the zombies?" Like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. so, like so like that. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, um, "I hope uh, I hope you guys like like helped him out." Um, but yeah, like I do think I do think it's one of those things. Like, if you don't get if you don't know history, if you don't you're not familiar with it, you can still enjoy the story. There's still like a lot there for a reader. I think if you do like the history, I think there's even more there for a reader. And I think if like you know if you're familiar with race relations, that's a different story you're going to get from it. If you're not familiar, then you're going to get a different story. So I think every reader brings their own experiences and their own knowledge base to a book. I hope that Dreadnation is layered enough that it can accom- accommodate a number and you know, a wide swath of readers.
1: If I can circle back to something you said a little earlier, you're talking about just you know the the way. Teens and, and you know your average reader now is just constantly surrounded by the internet and in that you know that global concept. My question for you is, how do you navigate being out there in the world, getting this instant feedback? I, I mean, I think it's really commendable the way you use your platform to get these issues out there, to talk about representation, to talk about how important it is for readers to see themselves in fiction. I think you've you've made a real case for that equality, and I just wonder like w- w- what's that experience been like for you? Because I know you've you've taken some hits from you know. From people online, and I just wonder how you deal with that.
3: I at this point, it's more a fact of I just don't deal with it. Yeah, uh, which, <laughs> which is like which seems like like a you know like a therapy session, but no, it's mostly you have to at some point realize that there that no amount of talking is going to get to certain people, yeah. right? They are dug so far deep into their their way of seeing the world. That they refuse to like pull themselves out of the sand and take a a new perspective. And I think it's important in any conversation to realize at some point you're just coming from two different places that can never converge. And those people are not the people I'm trying to talk to. I'm talking I'm always here for the people who are like, this feels wrong. How do we change it? Or I feel like I maybe I I made a mistake here. How do I how do I not do that in the future? Those are the people I want to talk to. I'm really also talking to the people who've experienced that, you know, the, the kids of color who are coming up living through microaggressions and are like, why does this make me feel this way? Like, I need a name for this thing. You know, we talk about, especially like we talk about in the queer community, there's so many more identities now. When I was like uh, like in the 90s, it was like you were either like, you know, gay, lesbian or maybe bisexual. and That was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like, you know, there was like, you know, there was a trans community, but they weren't welcome necessarily in the queer community. Like, so there was like these very segmented things where now- you go online and it's just like the LGBTQIA plus community. Like we, we have so many more ways of, of talk about identity than we had maybe 20, 30 years ago. And I do think it's important for that with race as well. Like we, we tend to have a very monolithic discussion of race, especially in the stories that get told. And so being able to talk about like, what is that like? What is that? How does that impact people? Like why what happens when you don't have a mirror to yourself? What happens when you don't have that, you know window or sliding glass door of another culture and you you're never exposed to those different ways of life and i think it's really at the end of the day about building empathy about realizing that we can be different and we can be embrace our differences and it doesn't mean that we have to hate one another and that those differences define us but at the same time don't make us unable to communicate or connect with one another, and that's really where I come from. Like, if, if people want to yell online, there's a mute button for that. Um, I, wish there, <laughs> I wish there was a mute button in real life sometimes. But yeah, like I, I do think it's like you know I, I don't spend as much time on the internet now because I spend a lot more time. That's probably wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the internet's terrible. Uh, yeah. no, for
1: your mental time. health, that's probably yeah. for the best. <laughs> but like I
3: spend a lot more time traveling, so I get to have all those conversations in person, and yeah. it's even more fulfilling, I think, to be able to go into a school. And talk with kids, and have a kid come up afterwards and say, "Hey, I'm glad you said this thing because it's something I've been struggling with, and now you've given me a way to like think about it and like approach it." And I'm like, "That's great," because sometimes just name being able to name a thing helps immensely.
2: Absolutely. And realizing
3: it's not just your imagination. So yeah, like so I still I talk a lot about um, about diversity and inclusion. I talk a lot more, and I would say behind closed doors, especially um, now there are younger authors who are taking those platforms, and I don't mm-hmm. necessarily need. I don't need to take up that always be the one taking up the space. I'm more than welcome to let other authors have those conversations um, because it, it is a hard conversation to be able to have over and over and over again, especially when it feels like people are purposely not listening. So, yeah,
2: you
3: yeah. think it's important, though, to like, you know, to talk about this stuff and to, to be frank and open and honest about you know what we're seeing in the industry um, and, and how it impacts not just people who work in publishing, but the, the readers who come behind us and the writers who come behind us.
1: Do you feel like you're seeing positive trends? Like from when you started your career to right now, have you seen Have you seen this shift in a positive way?
3: I do. I think there are also some negative ways. I do okay. think there is a push for more inclusion, but I also feel like with that inclusion, there is maybe more censorship coming through in, in certain communities, um, marginalized communities. I do think we have defined diversity as... X, Y, and Z, when mm-hmm. sometimes diversity is X, Y, Z, A, B, C, and everything in between. And I think that's kind of a part of the growing pains. I think that's part of the response. I think we tend to swing too far, right? We tend to, everything's awful, and then everything's amazing, and then it's not amazing because we've come back around to awful. Uh, so right. I, mean, I, I think it's just human nature where we're like, oh, no, we can't do this. So we all must run over to this side of the you know, platform and do this. And then it's like, okay, well, maybe not. We need something midway. So for authors of color, I do think there's an expectation of a certain type of experience that needs to be portrayed. And I think we mm. need to push past that. Okay. Um, for queer authors, I think it still skews as um, very white on the queer. When we talk about queer books, I think mm-hmm. we need to have more integration. I still think um, we don't see n- nearly enough disability representation um, across the spectrum. Um, you know, like you know, there are there are disabled Black people, and I like I do think that's a, a conversation we're gonna keep have to keep having is just making sure that we don't narrowly define what it means to be a, a marginalized perspective, but we realize that nobody's a monolith, and sometimes there are areas within those experiences that we don't like talking about, but are still valid. So yeah, so I do think we're in a changing. I think it's for the better. I think change is always good, um, even if it sucks in the middle of it. Um, but I do think I do think we are changing.
1: Good, good. Well said. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> If I could, if I could shift to a lighter topic here for a minute, what?
0: <laughs> Please God! Let's try, yeah, let's try to talk about Star Wars. Yeah. Now. Okay.
1: All right. All right. So, is it like, what's the experience when you're working on something like Star Wars? Then is that is that a totally different mindset and approach?
0: Um.
3: No, I think telling a story is telling a story, sure. and I think I think telling this broadest possible story for the broadest number of people is still valid. I, Star Wars is actually great, though, because it's like it's like I don't have to build the playground. Right. I just get to show up and play in the sandbox. It's like. If you're playing, if you're talking about, you know, writing your own stuff, you got to figure out, okay, the slides go over here, swings should go over here, okay, no, that's wrong, I need to flip those over, whereas with Star Wars, you show up and you're like, there's the slides, there's the Millennium Falcon, <laughs> there's, there's all that other stuff, go and have fun, and I think it's it's been really great, I really, really enjoy writing Star Wars, um, and not just because I like Star Wars, but also because it's just it's really fun to be able to collaborate with editors and a team of, of, of creators who all love something as much as you do.
1: Do you ever find that the confines that that working in that universe puts on you are those challenging as a writer or is that just you just exercising different muscles?
3: I think it's exercising different muscles. I think okay. writing a book is always hard. Um, just because English is a difficult language, <laughs> and mm-hmm. sometimes you put together a paragraph and you think it says X and it doesn't say X, it says something completely different. I don't find it restrictive at all because I like having limits. I like having a, like a goal in mind. Whereas when you're writing, you know, your own creator own stuff, you don't have any end goal. Like you don't know where hmm. you're going. You're like yeah. you just you know end up anywhere. Whereas when you're writing something with Star Wars, like okay, you have forty thousand words to get from here to the grocery store and back, and you're like, cool, right. so that's the destination. <laughs> I know how to do that. The route I take might be different than like, there's several different routes I could take, but it's a destination there and back. And so I do think it's nice for me. Um, it's, it works well with my brain. I like be having to be organized because I'm not naturally organized as a writer. So it's forced me to um, be a little more organized. And I've taken a lot of stuff i learned writing star Wars to actually my own stuff. You know, I didn't use to outline or do a synopsis or any of that stuff when I do now because it does help my brain kind of focus before I start writing. So yeah, so I really, I really, really enjoy writing uh, IP.
1: So was it? I mean, when you when you first got the call that you were going to do Star Wars, did you geek out about it? I mean, were you were you an old school Star Wars fan?
3: Yeah, I was. Um, it's actually it's actually funny because you know my husband was like, I was like, I used to always say, I'm like, I don't like Star Wars that much. I don't like so much. He's <laughs> like, for someone who doesn't like Star Wars, you complain about it all the time. And I was like, well, have some thoughts. Yeah, uh, it's
0: it's part and parcel with the fan. Yeah, I
2: think.
3: Right? <laughs> um yeah so like i um i they, i got a call from my agent and my agent was like do you um i got an email do, are you interested in writing star wars i'm like yeah sure if they have anything like i'll think about it and then like a week later they're like okay this is a pretty quick turnaround but would you be interested in writing lando and i was like "Cal calrissian and she's like you know my, my agent's like yeah and i was like hell yeah i would and then I, I spent like probably the next like week just like bouncing around the house and like mm-hmm. random so i would just turn to my husband i'd be like to write lando <laughs> to write Lando. so like he was just yes i know you told me mm-hmm. and so like i said like, yeah I, I i mean i i don't think there's many people who grew up in the 80s and 90s and were not star wars fans
2: mm-hmm.
3: in some way shape or form because it was so it was everywhere i just remember it being everywhere i just remember mm-hmm. like the ewok t- tv show and like the christmas specials and like like in the 90s when like episode one came out i remember going like my husband and i were like still dating at the time and i remember going and being like Oh no! Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh no! And he was like, that movie was cool. And I was like, oh no! Like, I was like wait,
1: funny. he thought that he thought the prequels were cool, but you still married um,
3: him. Yeah, I know. Okay, just love, love, well, love.
1: I guess that's your choice, but
3: <laughs> I, I know that.
1: We I have, we have. A I loved those eighties like, cartoons. Was
3: that He's like, I thought he was charming, and I was oh, just no. like, I'm like, remember when you like. That? <laughs> He was like, "Look, I I was in my twenties, a lot of mistakes, but yeah." I, I do I do think it's like one of those things. It's like I think a lot of like I mean, especially so now we're going on a kind of like Star Wars tangent, but I think a lot of the uh, the pain for Episode One was because people have been waiting so long for new
2: movies. Yeah.
3: Like then when you got was like something you weren't expecting, and I don't yeah. think in hindsight Episode One is not as bad as we thought it was. Um, but I still think it's part of the charm of being part of a fandom is being able to argue. And even when things, when even when you dislike things, realizing that you still, as a whole, still like it more than not having anything at all. Yeah. Right? I would always rather have, like, yeah. new content that's terrible than, like, nothing at all. And I say that as somebody who's watched all 15 seasons of Supernatural, right? Like, <laughs> i <I'm> like, <laughs> like, these last five seasons, guys, not the best. But, like... You're still there. Okay. I'm still here. I'm still watching it, yeah.
1: Yeah. I was a Smallville fan, so I know what you're saying. Um, yeah! What... <laughs> What, what's the Star Wars experience been like? The, have you had a lot of like? you have a lot of editorial freedom? I, I think of a book like uh, Spark of the Resistance, where you're just jam packed right in between those two movies. I mean, that must have been a pretty narrow sandbox for you at that point.
3: Yeah, I was actually surprised how much they did let me do, um, because obviously you're running up against like whatever. Yeah, starting point is in Episode Nine. Um, and I still was able to tell, like, I thought, I think a pretty complete and full story of the story I wanted to tell. Um, and so I didn't like the editorial, like pushback has never been bad to me. Like there's Mm -hmm. never been anything where I was told no, if I'm told no, it's usually like you can't do this because Mm -hmm. however, how about this instead? And I've always been like, yeah, that's also a great idea. Mm -hmm. It's just not the one I thought of. Like for example, like I will always throw in an Ewok everywhere and (laughs) And they're like, maybe less Ewoks. I'm like, okay, but maybe more Ewoks. And it's so like, <laughs> like so that's like, you know, it's always, a, it's like a running joke. It's like, I just want an Ewok with a lightsaber. And they're like, oh, maybe yeah. not. Um, and so like, yeah. And so like, give the people what they want. But yeah, no, like, I, I do, I haven't had a, uh, a bad experience. I haven't really had, i say any negative experience at all. The only thing that's been hard is just writing. Yeah. And I think that's, that's any book, any book, there's a point in which you just look at what you've completed and you say, I'm never going to make this work. I'm a failure. Why do I try? And then, like, you know, sad music plays, um, and a single tear falls down your face. But then, like, you're like, it comes together at the end. It always just comes together. Mm-hmm. So I haven't had any any really bad experiences at Star Wars. I've nice. really enjoyed everything I've done. And with the High Republic stuff, which is really collaborative with other writers, it's been even more fun. So yeah, I'm I'm enjoying. It. I'm Listen, I'm I'm great. I I'm living the dream.
1: Well, I'm Team Ewok, so I say fight the good fight. Keep at it. <laughs>
3: I am so going to bring Ewoks in some way, <laughs> some way, somehow. There'll, there will be Ewoks.
0: Um, are you like legally allowed to give mm-hmm. us a preview of uh, of your book, uh, Test of Courage for the High Republic push? Yes, that's coming.
3: I am. I can yes. <laughs> I can tell you. It stars a young Jedi Knight mm-hmm. named Vordestra Rowe, and Rowe is R W O H because it's mm-hmm. Star Wars, and you just mm-hmm. adding. Yeah. It, how'd you feel? And um, um, she is a Mary Allen who is the youngest Jedi Knight that she knows of. She's 16, mm-hmm. and she's kind of been assigned on this mission to uh, accompany this, this um, kind of, like, envoy, and there's an accident, and all of a sudden she's kind of tested um, for the first time as a Jedi Knight, because she's, mm-hmm. you know, she, this is the High Republic, so everyone's very, like, they're not the Jedi that are questioning themselves necessarily um, mm-hmm. the way we see in episode one, where, like, <laughs> things are starting to go bad, right? These right. are the Jedi at the, the height of their abilities, They're, they're confident. confident so, you know, people in the galaxy like them, and, you know, and they're, they're they're there for the good fight. And so it's, it kind of is, is really a way to show, especially younger readers, like, this is the idealized version of a Jedi. This is how awesome they are. This is the, all the cool stuff they can do. But also, they're people. And, mm-hmm. like, people sometimes, like, lack self-confidence. And so they question, have those questions about, right. you know, what is my place in my world? What is my place in my family? Because it's, it's a middle grade, even though it kind of skirts. It's kind of in that line between, like, upper middle grade and, and mm-hmm. lower YA. Um, but yeah, like so, like you know, it's it's and it's an action adventure. There's um there are lightsabers, mm-hmm. obviously on the cover. Right. <laughs> and there's I mean, there's like you know, there are cool droids, and they're like you know, there are characters who are not force sensitive, who are just kind of like there for long for the ride too. Because mm-hmm. I always wonder, like, what about the non force sensitives? Like, what are they doing? Right. Like, and I, and so yeah, so I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited to write for younger readers because I love yeah. writing for younger readers. Um, because it's just it's so great to like be able to hand a, a kid a book and they're just like what is this? And Mm -hmm. you're like, well, it's Star Wars. (laughs) And they're like, there are books. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Their eyes widen as they see a whole new world in front of them.
3: Yes. I'm like, oh, welcome.
0: (laughs) With something like this, uh, this big High Republic project that's happening where it's comics and uh, in books and everything. Is this like a writer's room kind of situation where you're uh, doing a lot of collaboration with other people? Or is it just, uh, or is it more of a, you get an assignment and now you're still kind of uh, working by yourself?
3: No, no, it's totally writers' room. We're totally coming up with stories we want to tell together. Mm-hmm. Um, we're bouncing off each ideas off of, of one another. Um, mm-hmm. I talk to the other. I talk to the other folks: uh, Claudia Gray, Charles Soule, um, Kevin Scott, and Daniel Jose Older. Um, mm-hmm. Probably daily. If not daily, then weekly. Constantly, like you know, if they're doing something, they're like, "Hey, this is what I'm working on. Um, these are the characters I'm using." And if it's a character I've created, I'm like, "Hey, here's something you can you can use with that character that will make that scene stronger." Mm-hmm. And it's never like, "Do this." Right. Mm-hmm. Because we're still like doing our own projects, but it's definitely more collaborative than anything I've done before. And I actually I thought I would hate it a lot more um, right. than I did. I actually really love it because it's it's great to be able to say, I don't know if this is dumb. And then somebody says, mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of dumb. It's like, OK, how can I <laughs> do this, but not. <laughs> but like cool. Like right. how can we do this but like in a cool way and then get like several ideas. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's it's been really great. I I have uh, always shied away from like people who talk about TV writing because of the writers room things, but what I found is it's actually the opposite of stressful. It's really it's really freeing.
0: Sure. How do you then personally balance writing for both like a big property like Star Wars, but then you're also, you know, uh Deathless Divide just came out in February. So yeah. h- how do you balance your you're doing these bigger projects uh, in, like you said, uh, somebody else's sandbox, but then you're also prioritizing your own, uh, your own fiction.
3: Yeah. I've actually um, started like having a really structured day. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things I've, I've been uh, writing full time just about a year and a half. I, I, I used to write and have a day job. So most of my writing took place before I went to work. Right. And so now writing full time, I've learned Congratulations. I have to structure- <laughs> Yeah, thank you. I know. It's like I am literally
2: living a dream. Uh, but
3: like, you no, know, one, one of the things that I've found is I have to structure my day so that I can use different parts of my brain. So usually in the morning, I will get up and I will work on my own stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. I will work
3: on whatever I'm drafting. Usually it's drafting or revision. And then I have a break in my only day where I'll, like, I'll go for a walk. Especially since like, we haven't had really had a winter. I'm in Maryland. And our winter's been like, like right. not winter, because um, mm-hmm. we're all going to die. Of global warming, but anyway, <laughs> it's going to be nice weather. And I'll, then we I'll all, all laugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're like, we're going to die, but it's great weather, right? Now. <laughs> um, and so, like, I usually go for a walk and like eat lunch and like give my brain like a chance to like kind of like like reset. And then the mm-hmm. afternoon, I'll go and work on Star Wars stuff. Okay. And I think that having that my day broken up like that has got mm-hmm. given my brain space to kind of like breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so like, and I'm also just about. Consistency, not high word counts. I know sometimes authors are like, "I wrote ten thousand words today." Yeah, I'm like, "Yeah, that's a melt. <laughs> that's a brain melt Like I can't. Like yeah. I am a, a very strict. Like at the most five thousand words, and that's usually twenty five hundred words on one project and twenty five hundred words on another. And that's like a very productive day. It's usually mm-hmm. closer to I would say probably fifteen hundred words on one project and fifteen hundred words on another.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: it sounds like a small word count, but if you do that all the time, it adds yeah. up. And, and next thing you know, you have a book.
1: Yeah. Is there anything else that you can tease about uh, what what uh, your readers can expect from you in the coming months?
3: Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm trying to go I like, like a no. good
1: mystery. That's good.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, um, I will say when we announced High Republic, they called it Phase One. Okay. So I would figure if there's a Phase One, there's probably subsequent phases because that's we- how common sense works <laughs> okay so so maybe a
1: phase two with Ewoks got um, yeah, it I'm gonna maybe, put that down phase
3: two, Ewoks with lightsabers <laughs> uh, I'm gonna get a hate I'm gonna get mail now like where are my Ewoks lightsabers? <laughs> you, honestly, <laughs>
1: those are right. just gonna be letters from me but yeah that's, I, that's I'm, say, I'm
3: just gonna call George my George exactly like, right, so, um yeah no I it's I yeah I have a, I have a, a bunch of stuff that um next year I will say it's gonna be especially busy because I do have middle, a middle grade my own middle grade coming out next year um, as well as some other projects. So um, I will say, if you are a fan of Justina Ireland, you're in your
1: <laughs> luck. All right. <laughs>
3: Look, there's some books coming.
1: Hey, where's the best place for people to find you online?
3: Um, you can find me on Twitter as Justina Ireland. You can find me on Instagram as Justina.Ireland. And that's mostly just pictures of my, my pets. I have a, two cats and a dog. <laughs> All right. Um, and you can find me at my website, JustinaIreland.com. And that's the best place to check the events i'll be doing and and what books are coming out and what's going on there
1: great okay well once again we really appreciate your time this morning Uh, it's really a pleasure talking to you
3: oh it was great thank you so much for having me
0: what a fun interview (laughs) you know that's what you say every time well they're always fun are they
1: yeah, every interview we've ever done has been fun. Yes. Well, how come she's the only person who's ever talked about Ewoks? Well, that's true. I, that. Maybe we
0: just didn't have like the door open enough to get into. Maybe every author we've ever talked to, whether it be a Joel Haldeman, a Martha Wells, yeah. uh, Lauren James, maybe they were all just waiting to be like, please just ask me about Ewoks. Maybe. So, and maybe if you had known, they were so open to talking about Ewoks.
1: From now on, I'm just going to lead with it. Yeah, I'm just going to yeah. lead with that. Because
0: <laughs> you are probably the only person I know who physically owns the Ewok cartoons. I do. Yeah, yeah, I have a DVD <laughs> of those. I showed them to my son. So yeah. there's a legitimate excuse. Yeah. What, what was it we watched? We finished Return of the Jedi, and you're like, "Let's watch Caravan of Caravan courage. of Courage." Yeah. I was like, mm. "I do, I do love those." But Ewok you did movies. it unironically. Yeah, you just put it on because you're like, "Well, this is the natural."
1: Of Continuation. <laughs> That's where it goes. <laughs> anyway, our thanks again to our guest today, Justina Ireland. You can find mm-hmm. out more about her at her website, justinaireland.com or mm-hmm. as she said on Twitter at Justina yeah. Ireland. Uh, we're really appreciative of her time and had a good time chatting with her. Yeah, uh, I had a
0: good time reading uh, Dread Nation.
1: I know you did. And the new the new one came out. Well, I really like her Star Wars books. Yeah. So, yeah. It's not that it's a competition. Yeah. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have many of her books right here in our collection and we'll continue to get them. So, uh, yeah. You have but to come to the David A. Howe Public Library and yeah. check them out. Your best source. For books, that's it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's you all just I have there. You want to share a couple of our other past uh, YA author interviews that we've done? Yeah, we've interviewed a couple now. The Quite list few, is getting yeah. longer.
0: I mean, Naomi Shihab Nye, who yeah. came to the library, yeah, she did, and uh, you interviewed right before she went on stage, yeah, that's practically right, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Lauren James, who we uh, we talked about uh, the loneliest girl in the universe, and spoiled it. So we spo- <laughs> yes, fair warning. Yeah, if you listen to the Lauren James interview There's... halfway through, we're just like spoiler, spoiler, spoiler yeah. which. I think she, she can't
1: talk about that book yeah. without doing <laughs> it. So. Uh, Rachel
0: yeah. Lauren was really excited to do that because she yeah. always has to be real tight lipped yeah. about. The yeah, ones that happen. but yeah, we were just like, you know what? We're just going to spoil this. Yeah. So get <laughs> out, out of, yeah. get out of here. Finish the book and come back. Absolutely. Uh, Rachel Cohen, who wrote Nick and Nora's Infinite Nick playlist and Nora's Infinite TN, Playlist, which we did for a book club. We yeah. did that for a book club. Yeah, we did. I remember that. And we did that for Lauren James. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, Mel Gilden. Yeah. Who? I mean. The, the when you say YA, we're talking uh, the nine hundred two one zero. He wrote the nine hundred two one zero
1: novelizations, as yeah. well as some Star Trek, and in, in a, a long running junior novel series. So that yeah, that was yeah. a fun one.
0: Which we we found out while listening to your nine hundred two one zero. Here we go yeah. podcast interview were huge, not just here, but in Germany. Mel Gilden's novelizations He, of of he July, was yeah. he was big in Germany. Yes, he was. Uh, and then Sarah Prinius yeah, who wrote Dragonfell. Yeah. Which which was a book that we We just discovered picked up on this podcast yeah. and we're like, we have to read it. During our book. sexy new books. Yep. There it was. Yeah, good So time. and we both
1: read it and enjoyed it. Yes. So So if you enjoyed this interview, take a minute to uh, rate review and subscribe to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, you can find us at soundcloud.com slash all the books mm-hmm. or anywhere you find your podcast. You can find us at Twitter yeah. at all the book show You can find us in person right here at the lovely david a howe
0: public library yeah uh i mean maybe you, you don't like that <laughs> i mean that's a little scary okay right, all right. feels you're just right. coming down yeah you're right i okay. mean i guess they do yeah we've met some people we have we yeah.
1: certainly have all right our thanks again to justina ireland join us next week as we take a deep dive into the
0: history of the dc comics character robin <laughs> who is 80 years young yeah this you know very what? year he, he looks great. He does. At 80 years he doesn't old. doesn't look a day over 17. No, he looks just like Chris O'Donnell did in oh Batman and Robin. 80 years old. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.